welcome back to the Meet the Translator podcast. My name is Dot and in this episode I'm joined by genealogy translator Catherine Schober who's going to tell us all about what she does. We're going to find out how and why Catherine got into genealogy translation as well as what it entails, what she finds most challenging and rewarding and how you can branch into this specialism too if you're interested. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Catherine. It's really great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much um, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So can you tell me a bit about yourself, what you do and your journey to becoming a genealogy translator? Sure. So I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, which is right in the middle of America. Um, but now I live in Oregon on the West Coast. And I, how I became a genealogy translator is kind of a curvy path. Um, I got my master's in German. So I always wanted to do something with the German language that was different from teaching. Um, I do enjoy teaching, but I wanted to do something where I was using the language myself. And um, I ended up living in Austria for four years. I did my master's over there for one year and then eventually went back and taught English over there for another three And that was until 2014. And at that point, I was uh, married to an Austrian, and we decided we wanted to move back to America. So we moved to Boston, and I was trying to find a job and ended up working as a project manager at a translation company for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But that still wasn't using the language myself. You know, I was still really just assigning projects to other translators and I was jealous of the translators I was assigning work to. I, I wanted to be the one translating. Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, I stopped working there and started my own company. And when I was doing that, I, I read a lot of books. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Corinne McKay's How to mm-hmm. Succeed as a Freelance Translator. I read mm-hmm. that. Like any, any podcast, any books I could get my hands on, I tried to really absorb all the information about starting your own business, starting your own translation business. And at first I was just trying to translate, you know, anything anybody would give me, anything and everything. But I've always loved history. I've always been fascinated by history. I've read a lot of historical fiction, any historical TV shows I love. And so I started reaching out to different um, genealogy societies um, just because I thought, oh, they might have people who have historical documents and they might want them translated. So I spent a lot of time sending hundreds of maybe close to a thousand emails to any genealogy society I could find in America with a focus on German. And I read in all those books and heard on all those podcasts, you know, for maybe 50 yet 50 no's, you might get one yes. So I tried to, you know, not be discouraged if I didn't hear back from anybody and just be excited about those uh, few yeses. And Eventually, people started saying yes, and I started working, and eventually I started getting enough work that I could really just focus on the history and genealogy and start saying no to all the other things, which, you know, I I was doing some medical and legal, and as I'm sure you and your listeners know, not not just anybody can do that. You have to actually know (laughs) medical terminology and legal terminology, which I did not, so... It was probably better for everyone else when I stopped doing that. But yeah, so then I just kind of was lucky enough to get enough work in the genealogy industry and was able to turn it into a full-time career. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. I love your approach of just like, I'll just I'll just contact everyone and we'll just, 
you know you get some responses and that's yeah that's really great so what actually is genealogy because I feel like it's not a word at least not a word that I hear very often and especially not like I I didn't even know that there were genealogy I mean it kind of makes sense when you think about it but I didn't really know that there were like genealogy translators until I came across um your Instagram profile yeah I I don't think there's many of us so it's not weird that you didn't know that I don't you know, I think I kind of made up the terminology myself. Um, there are definitely other people who translate in the genealogy field, but it's not, you know, something that everybody knows about or anything like that. The genealogy is the study of people's families. So it's uh, tracing back your lineage, you know, as far back as you can go and finding out, especially, you know, in America and England and Australia, where people may have come from different countries. So finding out where your ancestors came from, who they were, when they were born, when they got married, when they died and things like that. So mm-hmm. at the beginning, it was really, you know, people were like, oh, you can, you can make a career out of that. Do you work full time? <laughs> at the beginning, I really felt like I had to prove myself that it, it was a real job and that I, I was really making it work. Now it's been about six years of solely genealogy translation. And now I'm booked about six months in advance. So now Finally, that that need to prove myself has started to, you know, recede a little bit. And I feel, you know, yes, this is this is something that people need. And this is something that translators can make work as a career. Mm -hmm. So do you find that you get a lot of because I would have thought if it's things like, I guess, like birth certificates or like those kind of things, do you find it's a lot of one off projects or do you get a lot of long-term projects as well with it's, that. it's both um so there are people who just find like a birth certificate like you said and just want to know what it says and then there's other people who really are into their genealogy so when they find that one birth certificate there's a name on it that leads them to find you know their parents birth certificate and so on and so um luckily once you build that relationship with your clients and you get to know them and know their family story um like I said, you build the relationship and kind of keep, they keep coming back and you keep working with them and get to know them better. And there's mm-hmm. other people who, you know, have letters, like a bunch of family letters that they want translated. And maybe they have hundreds, hundreds of letters and want to do them over a period of a couple of years. So it really just depends. I have people I work with a lot and then people who are just one-off projects, like you said. So I guess it's more sort of, because I feel like with a lot of translation specialisms, we do a lot of like business to business um kind of work do you find that yours is more like business to customer because I exactly guess- it's 99 percent that um I've tr- I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of the show finding your roots it's a PBS show about uh, famous people who go on there and um oh. have their gene- genealogy researched um so I've worked with them um so that would be a business um mm-hmm. I've worked with the history channel once so also a business but really besides like those kind of those kind of projects every once in a while. It's 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 people, it's personal customers who are researching their family trees or who have all these old documents in their attics or basements and just want to know what they say. So it's it's I like it because you really get to to know your clients and and they're so excited. Like that's what I love is you know they've had these letters for years or decades and to finally know what they say and you know know who their grandparents were, great grandparents were and hear the actual thoughts and hopes and dreams of their great grandparents from the letters. It's really fun for me and definitely an extrovert, which is not something you hear a lot with translators who work from home. 
And that's fun for me to get to have that contact with the people. Yeah, that must be. I mean, that must be really, really rewarding to actually be the one that can be like, you know, here's the information that you've been wanting to hear about your relatives or here's this person. I think I've like, I don't know if I've shown, if I've watched that specific show that you mentioned, but I've definitely watched something similar, maybe like a British version of it. Yeah, there's Who Do You Think You Are, I think is another one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's similar to that. that. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just just fun. And it's I was so excited the first time they contacted me. And it's so cool to, you know, it's cool to get to see your name on TV and things like that. So, um, but it's just fun to get to be a part of one, like super exciting things like that. And then two, personal things like when clients have you know individual projects I like both of them a lot Mm -hmm. I guess it's like a good thing as well about having such a kind of unique specialism and when you put it out there and like with the obviously your website and everything like it's so obvious what you do that like if anything like that comes up like you're the person that people are going to go to because that's it's so obviously what you do yeah it's developed like that um like again when I was first starting out I always read, okay, it takes three years to start a business. And I tried to really take that to heart. And, you know, okay, like this first year is just going to be about making context and building. And second year will hopefully grow a little bit. And then the third year will hopefully be, you know, I went as trying to like basically replace my salary that I was making as a project manager. And it didn't, it was about three years until I did that. And knowing that ahead of time, that it would take a couple of years really kind of took some pressure off and, you know, made me think like, okay, as long as I'm growing, it's okay. I don't need to go from zero to a hundred within that first year. And that, that really made a big difference in my mindset. Mm. That's the, yeah, that's a really good thing to think about actually. Cause I feel like a lot of the time we like a lot of freelancers, we jump straight into it and we're like, Oh no, like, why am I not making a full like salary that I wanted straight away? But it's a good mindset to have. I guess you've kind of said like why you chose this specialization like is there anything else you want to add to that or like anything you really love about it for me it's just fascinating how people stay the same throughout centuries you know I've translated diaries from the 1800s where people are you know writing about oh my neighbor is so annoying like I have to you know I had to cross paths with my neighbor today and she just talks and talks and you know that could have been written or in a text message today from anyone from the 21st century so um, but good things too you know like oh I love you know I love my son and I'm so excited he's coming home for Christmas you know like it's just it makes sense like maybe it seems obvious but to me it's, it's just kind of fascinating how humans you know, even though the world around us has changed so much, like the basic emotions are really exactly the same. And I love, I love just seeing examples of that throughout the different centuries and like basically seeing these people come to life is one of my favorite things. Wow. That must be, yeah, it does. It does sound like it's really, really rewarding. I mean, you've said like you translate texts, like letters, birth certificates, death certificates, I guess, like what other kind of things do you translate? And do you have like a favorite type of Mm-hmm. Yeah, so another big one in uh, genealogy is church records. So before like the late 19th century, it was the churches who kept track of people's marriages, births, and deaths. So there are these big church books with all of these different entries. And they go back to, you can go back sometimes as far as the 1400s. There was um, the 30 Years War in the 1600s. And a lot of church records got destroyed at that point. But if people are lucky and their church records didn't happen to be destroyed. Some people have been able to go that far back. So that's church records are a big thing I translate. And then, like you said, the birth and death and marriage certificates, which kind of came later um, post, it was 1876 when those kind of came into existence in Germany. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then letters and the diaries. And those are my favorites because like I said, you can really, you get the juicy stuff in those letters mm-hmm. and diaries. I've done some, I've done some, I've done some, uh, love letters from the late, uh, 1800s. And that was just like, Oh, these are, you know, I don't know if their grandchildren want to be reading these. These are a little risque love letters here. Um, so that's fun. And what else have I done? Newspapers, you know, different newspaper articles about people, photo albums, like a lot of people have photo albums that their Mm -hmm. grandparents maybe kept or great grandparents and postcards, pretty much anything and everything that people get their hands on. Wow. It does sound like you've got a lot of uh, variety there. Yeah, it's not boring for sure. I get, I get, like I said, I get most excited about the letters and diaries, um, especially the diaries, because then you, you know, you have maybe hundreds of pages all written by one person and you feel Mm -hmm. like you really get to know that person and get to know, you know, what their thought processes were. And I often think like they would probably have never thought that some American 200 years later is reading their private thoughts, you know? (laughs) Um, So that's kind of fascinating to me. And I did one diary where she was trapped. The woman who was writing her husband was stationed in Thailand. I think it was early 1900s. And she was traveling to Thailand to go visit him um, with their one-year-old son And it was a fascinating diary because she basically wrote down all the different places they stopped at. And they traveled from, I think, Germany to around England and France and then down through um, like Africa and the Suez Canal and over to the Middle East. And they would get off at the different ports. So that was really exciting. But the thing that was kind of got a little bit boring, which I feel bad saying, is that like she would spend probably three fourths of every page saying how much she missed her husband. Which sounds romantic, but it was literally like hundreds of pages of, I miss my husband. I miss my husband. And, you know, as translators, you know, when you're translating the same sentence yeah. over and over for hundreds <laughs> of pages, it's like, okay, we get it. Um, but then I was like, okay, well, at least she's getting closer to Thailand. Like she'll see her husband soon. I'm excited. But the diary stopped right before she got to Thailand. So after all of no. that missing and hope and anticipation, I never got to hear about the reunions. So I was a little oh. disappointed. <laughs> So it sounds like you're reading like an adventure book or something. It was like that, but with with no ending. Yeah, so you don't always get the nice proper endings that you hope for in translation. But um, it was it was still a fun project. Mm, that does sound fun, actually. So I guess like one of the biggest differences between your specialization and a lot of other specializations in translation is that you probably get given the text in like handwritten format most mm-hmm. of the time I guess like how how is that like do you is it is it hard to like I feel like sometimes I can I can hardly even read people's handwriting in English let alone like yeah. in German and you probably have because I guess another thing is like with doing historical things they'll have used completely different forms of German and written things differently and everything how does that work like how do you manage to do that (laughs) yeah that's a really good question and that's actually why I've been able to kind of specialize so much is because there is this old type of handwriting that was used before World War II in Germany that even modern Germans can no longer read today so it's a completely uh, different type of handwriting that was taught in schools you know from Parts of it, you know, began in the 15, 1600s. This specific set began in the 1700s um, and then taught all the way up to World War II. And then it was actually Hitler who said, no, like, I want that the people in the lands I'm conquering 
to be able to read our handwriting. So he really started this campaign to switch the type of handwriting to the Latin handwriting that, you know, we all use today and that the Germans use today as well. So that's really been probably a big advantage for me is that I'm able to read this handwriting when not a lot of people are. And I mean, I just, I taught myself. So I I remember the first time someone sent me a document and it was before I actually was translating as a career, you know, someone was just like, okay, like, oh, I have this old letter. You speak German. Can you, can you look at it? And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds fun. And I looked at it and I was like, what, what is this? You know, I, I could, it, it's just so different. And so I started, once I started specializing in genealogy, I again, got a lot of books on how to read this handwriting. And I just started doing it. It's, it's one of those things, the more you practice, the better you get like any other skill. As I mentioned, my husband is from Austria and his mm-hmm. grandmother actually learned the handwriting back when she was in school. So for any super tricky words, you know, we were in Boston and she was in Austria and not super tech savvy, but for any like really tricky words, I would like text his mom a picture of it. His mom would go over to his grandma's house and ask the grandma if she could read it. And then she would try to help. And then the mom, his mom, my mother-in-law would text me back um, with that. So that was kind of a extra support when I was trying to figure it out. But then, yeah, again, it's just like the more you do it, the easier it gets. And now I've been doing, working with the handwriting for about six years and now it's not a problem at all. Like now I can just, you know, every once in a while, of course, there'll be a word that was like, Oh, what does that say? But for the most part, it's just now like reading cursive for me. So my brain's luckily gotten used to it. Mm. Do people usually give you the original documents or do you often just have to look at a scan of it or something? Um, I actually prefer to look at a scan of it. Um, Sometimes they want to send me the original documents, but because it's in the old handwriting, the letters, like the differences between the letters are so minute that I really like to be able to zoom in on my big monitor to make it as clear as possible, which I can't do if I'm looking at the actual documents. So every once in a while, like maybe four times in the last couple, in the last six years, people have actually sent me their documents, but I prefer to have an emailed high resolution scan just because it helps to make everything clearer and it's easier to work with too. You know, I can put one, the German up on one side and then type the English on the other side of my monitor and things like that. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I yeah. guess you, you like send them back a file just as a normal text document. Have you ever had anyone that's like, I want it returned, handwritten? As if it was like an <laughs> English no, but some, some people, like I, I actually go to, before COVID, uh, went to a lot of conferences where I would, you know, have a booth and sell my books and things like that and and advertise my translation services. And some people would want me to sign my books that I've written in the Mm. old handwriting. And I am the least artistic person probably that you've ever met. Like I was a very good student in school, like got all very good grades, except for art. Like art was my downfall (laughs) because I'm so bad at it. And that has somehow translated into, you know, this handwriting is it's very beautiful and I can try to write it, but I am not good at it. So I <laughs> great at reading it, but not so good at writing it. So I did end up signing that man's book who asked, but I was so embarrassed about it afterwards because I was like, this looks, <laughs> it did not look good. And he, he kind of looked at it and was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so if anyone asks me in the future, I should probably just say no for their sake, because I don't think they'd be happy with the finished product. So yeah, so normally I type out how it works is they'll send me their document. If it's a handwritten letter, 
and I'll type it all out for them in German because Mm -hmm. some people do have a little bit of German uh, language skills. And even if they don't, other people kind of just like to see what the German words are. And then I'll Mm -hmm. translate it into English from there. So they always get a text file with the typed German and then the translated English. Oh, okay. So it's almost like I get, as a subtitler, I'm kind of comparing it to just doing like a transcription. Yeah, exactly. I call, yeah, that's you what translate I call it. Too. it. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I read on your website that you that you translate from four different German scripts. What are the scripts, and how are they kind of different from each other? Mm-hmm. So it's actually three scripts, and then I think modern German was the oh, fourth okay. one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you yeah, so when you said that, I was like, hmm, what is my fourth one? So I have to go back and look at my website, and then the, yeah, just modern German is the fourth one, which I guess counts as a script in mm-hmm. itself. Um, <laughs> so there is Fraktor, which is um, kind of that typed Gothic-looking text. If you've ever seen any like typical German image or something like that, it's like, like that old like German Gothic-looking font. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a lot of times what newspapers were written in or were printed in before. So I do that. And then there's Kurrentschrift, which is it's, it translates as running script. So Kurrent is kind of like. Mm-hmm. The Latin word for running, which is quarterre or something. something, I don't speak Latin, but I'm trying to remember my Italian. So it's running script, and that's the that's the main one I do. It's a very flowy, beautiful that old German handwriting. Mm -hmm. And then in the early 20th century, a subset of that script developed called Suterlin, and that's part of Kurrentschrift, but it's a little bit more boxy and uh, kind of just more modern looking in a way. So that's, that's more uh, early 20th century up until World War II. So those Mm -hmm. are the, those are the three. Okay. Do you find they're like quite different from each other? Like, did you, when you learned them, did you have to learn them like separately or was it kind of easier when you'd learned some of them? Yeah, more that. So like Fraktur for me is very easy. Like it's, it's type, it's, it's not easy for everyone. Like I have to remember that like when my clients are looking at it and trying to do it, like it is, it is different enough that you do have to give your, your brain sometimes to adjust, but I think it's, you know, it's typed. So it's definitely easier than the handwriting. So I, I really think people can do it um, once mm-hmm. they have a key and kind of let their brain get used to it. Kurrentschrift, which is the one that started more 17th century, uh, 1700s to be taught in schools. That's the one I do the most. So that's like 17, 1800s. That's the easiest for me just because most of the documents I translate are 17, 1800s. So that's probably, which is really funny because I can actually read that better than I can read my mother-in-law's handwriting nowadays. <laughs> it cracks me up. Um, and she, you know, she has the 20th, 21st century, 20th century handwriting. So for, it's actually easier for me to read documents from the 1800s than her, her very kind birthday cards. Um, and then Suterlin, I can also read well, um, but I do less documents from the 20th century. So sometimes maybe I'm like 1% slower with that or something like that. So it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's the more you do something, the easier it gets. And since the most I do is from the 1800s, that's really my strongest, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then I've done some 1500s and 1600s as well. And that's also kind of a type of the old German handwriting, but it's definitely more flourishy and decorative and loopy. So that I can do, but it definitely takes me longer just because not as many people have documents from that time period. So I haven't been exposed mm-hmm. to it as much as the others. So it, that's doable, but more of a time, uh, takes more time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So what, because I kind of would have thought that 
might have been one of the most challenging things about about what you do would be just to like figure out what it says in German in the first place but I don't know like what what do you see as the most challenging part of your job? That definitely was at the beginning like when I was first starting out I would definitely say that was the most challenging part but now after doing it for so long you know I've, I've gotten really fast at it which is which is great. I think one of the most challenging parts is finding the old-fashioned vocabulary words, you know, um just like mm-hmm. any language words that were used 100 years ago have died out and on the modern internet there's not always, you know, the answer for what that word means. There's a great German to English genealogical dictionary um by Ernest Stode if any of your listeners happen to be in the genealogy field and need a dictionary. That's been a huge help. It's like 200 pages of just German genealogical words that you'll find oh, wow. um, on your documents. So that's a really great dictionary. But he, but it's not everything. You know, the farther back you go in time, the more obscure the words get. So kind of honing my Google skills and just trying to, you know, hope that somebody else has asked the same question that I have. I I do a lot of googling in German because when you're trying to find words from the 1600s. There's not a lot of English speakers looking those up. So mm-hmm. I guess just trying to find like different tips and tricks to find to finding the meanings of those very old fashioned words has been that's probably the most challenging. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it requires some really great research skills. <laughs> yeah, and it's been kind of fun to develop. You know, it's kind of like a puzzle. You know, you'd be like, okay, like I have no idea what this word means, or maybe like a slight <laughs> idea from the context, but you're not confident enough to translate it for a client. And it's kind of fun to see like, okay, what word can I type into Google to try to try to get Google to give me the answer? So I like it, but you know, not when it takes 45 minutes to find one word. Yeah, that's understandable. I recently yeah. had some um I was I was translating some Dutch intertitles from a, a really old movie. And oh. there were a few. Most of it I could kind of guess what it was because it wasn't too different from I don't think it was too old of Dutch for me to not be able to understand it, but a lot of words I was like it was either just spelt completely different and I had to like say it out loud to try and because I guess some of the time like before they had I don't know about like the spelling reforms or something that's probably a whole nother thing but like I guess sometimes like they just spelt it differently but if you say it out loud you can be like oh actually that's that that could sound like this other way yeah that's a really good trick and that was good that's good that you did it because then it helps your brain to kind of just figure it out and that is another like I've translated a lot of letters where the people weren't, you know, didn't have much education and so they mm-hmm. just spelled words as they thought they should be spelled. So I do that a lot too, just trying to, you know, talk to myself and say it out loud and almost like shut off my brain to try to figure out like okay, like it won't make sense if I think in German, I need to just like let myself <laughs> absorb the language or hear the language out loud to figure out what they what they mean. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who might be thinking that they want to, I don't know, become a genealogy translator or something, what skills would you say are the most important skills that you need to to do that? Um, I think like definitely a love for history, obviously, first and foremost, like you need to love your topic or your specialization. Uh, research skills, you know, even though like, you know, I'm not a genealogist, like I don't research people's family history for them. You still need mm-hmm. to have those different research skills to, you know, sometimes you do need to like research different documents to find what a word can mean on your own document and things like mm-hmm. that. Being able to read the handwriting is a big thing in any language. Like even English handwriting was different in the past. So I'm sure other languages is different as well. So that 
ability to to decipher those the scrawls and <laughs> things like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think you know, just it's like any translation career, you just gotta love your specialization and have a passion for it. I'd say. Mm. Do you ever find that people like? I mean, you said that you don't do the actual genealogy research, but do you ever find that you do a translation for someone and they're like, oh, can you just help me look for this thing or this thing? Because obviously with you knowing the German, it's probably with the research skills as well, it's probably easier for you to find certain things than they can. Do you ever? Yeah, definitely. No, I've definitely been asked that before. Um, And I'm I'm not trained in that. You know, that's like there's like specific genealogy degrees or certifications that you can do which I do not have, like I have never, you know, I've learned a ton through being in the field the last, you know, six years or whatever, but I have never, you know, I've not been trained in their research. So I always, if they ask, I have people that I refer them to who have been trained in the research mm-hmm. part of it. And, but I did at the beginning, I was always saying, I do the translation, not the research. If you would <laughs> like a researcher, here are the names, you know, which makes sense, you know, people, mm-hmm. It makes sense that people would think that you do that too, but for me, it's two very separate things and two very separate skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's like I'll do I'll create subtitles for someone, but if they were like, "Oh, can you also just make me a movie?" I'd probably be like, <laughs> yeah, "Exactly." Yeah. No. Like, I don't know if you want me to. <laughs> it's like asking me to write the write in the old handwriting. It's like I can try, <laughs> but <laughs> might not be the best outcome. <laughs> Yeah. So what advice do you have for people who want to, maybe people who are already translators and they're thinking, oh, they'd quite like to specialize in genealogy translation or I don't know, someone that's a genial, I don't know how many genealogists listen to my podcast, but anyone who's like, no, I want to become a translator. I don't know. What advice do you have for people that want to do what you do basically? Um, I'd say like definitely get involved in the field, you know, really like make contacts with other genealogists. There's a Facebook group called the Genealogy Business Alliance, I think is the name of the Facebook group. And so just making contacts in the field and re- networking with people, looking up other people on LinkedIn. Like I said, before COVID, I went to a lot of conferences. That's helped a lot, but it's a great field. I mean, most of my clients are retired because those are the people who have more time to do spend. It's a lot, a lot of time you need to actually mm-hmm. research your family history. So not everybody, but for the most part, um, my clients are retired and they are the nicest people ever. Like it is, I love, I love being in this field. Like everyone's so kind, so helpful and the clients are all great. And so really just making those connections and getting involved in the industry, I would say would be my best advice. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend reaching out to because you said at the start that you reached out to a lot of genealogy kind of societies and stuff did that yes. did that work really well for you is that something you'd recommend yeah it definitely I wish I like had better analytics on you know how <laughs> how it actually played out but that, I mean that's definitely how I got started and that's how you get your name out there and you know just not being shy you know you need to let people know that you're available because especially when you're first starting out, like you need to go to people and not just expect people to come to you. So, you know, be brave, get your name out there. I did a lot of content marketing at the beginning. I still do, but I wrote a lot of blog posts and tried to share any information I was learning about German genealogy. And Mm -hmm. then I would write it up in a blog post. And then I would share those blog posts you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, on any genealogy website that would let me. I did a lot of um, guest blog posts at the beginning to try to get my name out there. So I would reach out to other genealogists who had blogs and asked if they would be interested in me writing a guest blog post for free if I could link back to my website. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think that really made a difference. Really just thinking of any possible way that you can get your name out there and get people to know who you are. That that I think was the biggest thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably quite helpful for advice for any kind of new translators as well. Just <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no matter what field you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say... Um, if anybody is interested in getting involved in genealogy translation, I'm always happy to talk to anybody. I don't know if you'll have my contact information somewhere, but I'm I'm more than happy to, you know, spend however long talking to somebody and offering specific mm-hmm. advice. Like I have so many people were so kind to me when I was starting out and I'm happy to pass that on as well. You know, it's just sometimes it's just nice to be able to ask your specific questions to whoever. So I'm happy to talk to anybody who's mm-hmm. really interested. What's the um what is the best way for people to contact you? And then I can put it in the show notes. Probably my email. So it's <laughs> Catherine underscore Schober at germanologyunlocked.com. It's a very long email. <laughs> I just actually rebranded my website and got a new email address. And so very I didn't realize how long that email address was. But if you put it in the show notes, um, they can, you know, mm-hmm. obviously click on it and then feel free to reach out and contact me. Mm-hmm. I will I will do that. Um, another thing I was going to ask you actually was with sort of finding clients for genealogy translation. I know you said that most of them are probably direct clients and individuals. Have you ever worked with agencies on this kind of thing or are agencies a sort of no-go in this field? I think I'm actually a little bit too expensive for agencies. I've had a couple a couple reach out and ask me and then I've given my quote and stuff. And I, I don't think I've had very many actually accept the project. I think, you know, because agencies take a big cut as well mm-hmm. and usually are paying translators a little bit less, I would say, at least from my experience yeah. as a project manager. So very rarely. I can't, I don't know. I can't say that I've never done it in the last six years, but not, it's mostly direct clients. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like, especially if you can get mostly direct clients and individuals, then you can charge that it's completely different rates from what you do for agencies. Exactly. And I was like at the beginning, I was on like the pros or prosy. I never know how to pronounce it. (laughs) I don't think anyone knows how to pronounce it. (laughs) But I I was on that website. I was on Translators Cafe. You know, I was definitely getting my name out on all those websites. So, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if you're starting out, that's, you know, it doesn't hurt to get your name out there and anywhere Mm -hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. So, because I have seen, um, I know you said that you're happy to talk to anyone, give advice and stuff. I have seen on your website that you also have courses and webinars and even a membership as well. Can you, do you want to tell me all about those? Sure. So those have kind of evolved in the last few years. So the course, my main course that I think I came out about two years ago is teaching people how to read that old handwriting that I was talking about. So like I said, mm-hmm. I was teaching myself. I was trying to find any books I could on the topic. I was going to my Australian husband's grandmother to help me. And so I wanted to make it easier for people to really learn the handwriting all in one place in a fun and interactive way. Mm-hmm. So I made an online course through Teachable. And it's I, I think it's fun. We have like a lot of like flashcards and matching games and tests and quizzes and video PowerPoints so people can really start with knowing nothing and then build all the way up to being able to read the handwriting on their genealogical mm-hmm. documents on their own. So that's that's been the main course and then this week I am launching my newest course which is German for genealogists. So it's for like we were talking about earlier there's a specific, you know, old some words are very old fashioned, the spelling is different. 
So if you go to learn German, you know, at a regular college or a German, you know, any German class or Duolingo, you're not going to learn the exact type of German that you need to be working with these documents. You're going to learn a lot of extra stuff and you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff that you really need. So that's the newest course is really focusing on that, that German language skills for, for genealogy documents. I'm really excited about that. It's been about a year in the making and um, I'm excited to get that out into the world. And then the webinars I do for free, um, those are just, I, it's really fun for me because like I said, I, I love working with people and they're, most of them are live webinars where I get to interact with you know a bunch of my clients and other people as well and teach them something about genealogy, whether it be working with church records, you know, like how can you work with church records if you don't read the handwriting or speak German or what websites are available out there for helping you with the handwriting. Mm-hmm. I do one on like Google, like how to Google to uh, best find your genealogy results. Uh, doing one this week on German names, so different naming patterns in German genealogy. So just kind of all various topics on German genealogy to help people work with their documents. And I really do love to teach. Like I said, I I wanted to use the language myself, but I love to teach as well. So it's kind of an opportunity for me to get to teach um, Mm -hmm. as part of my career. And then the membership is um, for people who already like can read the handwriting or can read it decently well, and they're trying to work with their genealogy documents themselves, but Mm -hmm. they get stuck from time to time on, you know, tricky words, like maybe tricky towns or names or things like that. And so I have a Facebook group and we meet once a week and my members will then post their documents to the Facebook group. And say like, okay, can you help me with this word? I just can't read it. Or what does this mean in German? So it's kind of like an office hours for people Mm -hmm. who are really doing their genealogy by themselves, but want like a tutor or want, you know, to be able to go to the teacher's office and say, can you help me? And it's really fun. We have a great group. Um, We meet, like I said, every Wednesday and we all learn a lot from each other because everybody has different questions and everyone can Mm -hmm. see each other's questions. And so Mm -hmm. at the end, I'll always write a summary of, okay, this is what we learned from this person's document. We learned about this word from this person's document. We learned we can use this website to find this specific thing. So it's a great way to learn from each other. And I think it's been helpful for them to not get stuck because a lot of times, you know, they won't be able to read that word and their whole research will stop because they can't get past this one document. So Mm -hmm. kind of allows them to keep going with their research. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's also quite a good way to kind of offer your services at different price points, because I guess if someone comes to you and wants something translated, but can't quite afford to have it all translated, you can offer them an alternative where they can do it themselves and just kind of, you can help them through it or something like that. So Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times like people will say, write me emails saying, oh, I can, I can read most of the document, but can you help me out with these couple words? every once in a while I can, but I've gotten so busy that, you know, so many people write me that and I can't, Mm -hmm. I don't unfortunately have time to help everybody. So then I can refer them to this monthly membership and say, one, you can get help right away. You know, cause like I said, I'm booking about six months out. So instead of waiting six months, you can join Mm -hmm. the membership, post your document in your group and get the help next Wednesday. And then two, it is more affordable than having the whole document translated as well. And people enjoy it. People like to try to do it themselves. And, you know, you get that sense of satisfaction when you solved it by yourself too. So that's, it's been really fun. 
It's probably quite nice as well having the little community of other people are doing the same thing I guess especially if most of them are kind of retirement age um yeah just having other people doing the same it's almost like a, a hobby for them I guess it really is and it's it's you know I think with the internet it's so great how you can connect with people from all over the world doing this thing you know there's not everyone loves history and genealogy and we all have family members who you try to tell, oh, the, I found our great great grandfather, and they don't really care. So it is, you know, some people love it, and some people aren't as interested. So it's so nice to have this community where other people, you know, cheer you on and get excited for you. And we do quarterly zooms as well, where we all, you know, meet on zooms and we get to see each other's faces and talk to each other, and um, it was really nice. And some people, we have people from all over the world. So some people are in Australia can't be there at the exact time we do it, but they just um, post their documents the night before and then they can always come back and check then. So people who are still working or who are in a different time zone, you know, it doesn't have to be live. They can just upload their documents and then come back and check the answers when they're done. So we've tried to make it work for everybody and luckily it's been really fun so far. Yeah, that does sound really great actually. And I guess like your courses as well could be quite useful for translators who are specifically doing German into English and wanting to get into genealogy. It's a probably quite exactly. Yeah, I actually do. Um, so I have a couple um, women who help me out with projects now. Like they're kind of freelancing for me, and um, one of them has had some experience with the script, but not a ton, and she wanted to get better. So I kind of just sent her to the course, and she was able mm-hmm. to really refresh her skills by for the handwriting by doing the course so it is I have had some translators take it as well to just really get that confidence in the handwriting that's awesome I love like (laughs) I love hearing what you do because it just sounds like such a nice variety of different different things like it sounds like you must have quite a quite a variety in your day-to-day life yeah it is it's been interesting kind of to see over the years how you know at the beginning it was all translation all the time and now it's just kind of developed to be much more well-rounded I guess of courses and teaching and membership and translation still I don't want to give up the translation you know Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people have said like will you just kind of focus on this and and then not translate as much? But I love the translating part of it too. Like I think, like I said, I just love working with the documents and the letters and the diary. So I'll always keep that a part of it for sure. That's great. I think I've kind of asked you everything I wanted to ask you. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or mention? I don't think so. I feel like we've gotten to cover a lot and um, hopefully it's been helpful for people. And if anyone hasn't read Corinne McKay's book, How to Succeed as a Freelance Translator, that was like my my Bible at the beginning and I would highly recommend it. And then if anyone's getting into the genealogy world, like I said, that the dictionary is wonderful and everyone's welcome to contact me for any questions. So hopefully it helps some people and thank you so much for having me. No, yeah, it's been really great. What can you just um, say the name of your website again in case anyone wants to check out? Sure, your it is course. Germanology. So that's like German in genealogy. So germanologyunlocked.com. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So it's easy for. Perfect. And then my last name, I think if you want to look me up, it's it's the Austrian spelling. So it's Catherine and then Schober, which is S-C-H-O-B-E-R. Um, if anyone needs it for that email, it's that that S-C-H throws people off sometimes. <laughs> awesome. I'll make sure to fill that in the show notes as well. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to come and be on my podcast and share yeah, everything about what you do and 
give some advice as well. I'm sure it's been really interesting and useful for a lot of people. <laughs> well, good. It was a lot of fun talking with you and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode on Genealogy Translation. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. Thanks again to Catherine for joining me today. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to let Catherine know. And if you have any comments or questions about the Meet the Translator podcast, send an email to meetthetranslator at gmail.com.